Hello and welcome to eBible Fellowship's Evening Bible Studies with your speaker, Chris McCann. If you'd like more information or to hear more studies, visit our website at www.ebiblefellowship.com. And now, with your evening Bible study, here's Chris McCann. Good evening and welcome to eBible Fellowship's Bible Study in the Book of Genesis. Tonight is study number 7 of Genesis chapter 11. We're going to begin reading in verse 10. Genesis 11, verse 10. These are the generations of Shem. Shem was a hundred years old and begat Arphaxad two years after the flood. And Shem lived after he begat Arphaxad five hundred years and begat sons and daughters. And Arphaxad lived five and thirty years and begat Salah. And Arphaxad lived after he begat Salah four hundred and three years and begat sons and daughters. And Salah lived thirty years and begat Eber. And Salah lived after he begat Eber four hundred and three years and begat sons and daughters. And Eber lived four and thirty years and begat Peleg. And Eber lived after he begat Peleg four hundred and thirty years and begat sons and daughters. And Peleg lived thirty years and begat Reu. And Peleg lived after he begat Reu two hundred and nine years and begat sons and daughters. And I'll stop reading there. Now, uh, we're familiar with the genealogy uh, as we uh, have already encountered it in the study of the book of Genesis. Remember back in Genesis chapter 5, God began with Adam, and and from Adam he, he, he worked his way down. Seth, Enos, Canaan, uh, Mahalalel, and, and so forth, all the way down. And we saw that, yes, it's um, a genealogical record. It, it tells us the various generations. But the Lord had another purpose. In addition to telling us the family line, he gave very specific ages of individuals. And, for instance, when we go back again to Genesis 5, and it says... In verse 12, And Canaan lived seventy years and begat Mahalalel. And Canaan lived after he begat Mahalalel eight hundred and forty years and begat sons and daughters. And all the days of Canaan were nine hundred and ten years and he died. That the Lord actually had a biblical calendar of history in view. And when he would say that Canaan lived 70 years and begat Mahalalel, the hidden mechanism or the way that God hid this calendar was to throw off people, and not only natural-minded people, but it threw off all people, even God's elect throughout most of history, and and they went in a different direction thinking, well, that's the year Mahalalel was born, but no, not so. That's the year a progenitor who will later bring forth Mahalalel, or Mahalalel will come from that individual's line. That's the year that progenitor was born, not Mahalalel 
himself. It's only after Canaan begetting Mahalalel then goes on to live the rest of his time. And all the days of Canaan were 910 years and he died. At that time, the year of his death, Mahalalel is actually born because he's the next biblical calendar reference patriarch. And we saw that the calendar is end to end. The uh, references to begetting an individual at some midpoint or dividing point in the previous calendar reference patriarch's life is uh, an intentional act to mislead by God, to uh, perform sleight of hand, to hide the true information, and, and therefore the biblical calendar of history is a parable. Because what what's the definition of a parable that we have learned? And this definition um, qualifies to cover the entire Bible. We, you know, that was always the problem before when we would define a parable as an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. Well, that definition worked fine for the parables that Christ spoke, or for the Book of Proverbs, or. Um, Job, because he continued his parable, it worked fine when an actual parable was in view. But it wasn't sufficient. It wasn't an all-encompassing definition to cover statements like John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Now, we would say to people, the whole Bible's a parable, and they would point out very... Uh, they thought plain definitive statements like John 3.16. And, and well, is that a parable? Or they could go to another verse in Romans or somewhere else where the gospel seemingly plainly laid out. You can't say the whole Bible is a parable. And, and we got into trouble. It, our explanation was not completely sufficient. It, it was sufficient in large part, not completely sufficient, and and so we've learned to have a better definition of what a parable is, and it's a biblical definition. Simply put, a, a parable is that which serves to hide truth. Jesus spoke parables in parabolic form, the kingdom of heaven is like. Proverbs are parables, both Jesus' spoken parables and the book of Proverbs hide truth. The book of Job, Ezekiel, as they said of him, does he not speak parables? And and all of the historical parables are parables as well as the seemingly plain statements like John 3.16. Those who thought they understood it really did not. Or God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. That's a parabolic statement because it has hidden truth. People attach themselves and quickly uh, try to come to a conclusion, a natural conclusion. They know what the word all means, that God means this of all people, and they're wrong because there's hidden truth. No, it's the elect that God is not willing should perish and, and that all of the elect should be saved. And this particular definition that a parable serves to high truth, covers everything, and so the the entire Bible. So when God 
in Genesis 5 is recording the biblical calendar of history. Of course, since it's the Bible and God speaks in parables and God hides himself and he is truth, then, of course, he does not lay it out plainly. That, that, <laughs> that I don't know where you can go in the Bible to find something plainly stated where it's all laid out on the surface and you you can just, as the churches teach, as seminaries teach, if uh, there's a plain meaning, surface meaning, seek no deeper spiritual meaning. They actually teach that. And, and that's fool's gold. You find fool's gold on the surface, the shiny looking rocks, they they uh, seem to look like gold, and they're very easy. You don't have to dig for them. And and prospectors in old times would would find these pieces, and and the inexperienced prospector would think he really had something, and and yet it was worthless. No, typically for the really valuable gold, you have to pan the water, and you have to work hard. Because it's hidden, and that's how it is with the word of God. It's always hidden. Verily, thou art a God that hideth thyself. Christ spoke in parables to teach us that plain truth, that if you want to come to the knowledge of truth, well, you better show yourself approved, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. You have to dig into the Bible And so God hid the calendar of history through this mechanism, this formula of the way he delivered the genealogy, and he he hid it very, very well. So well that it confounded individuals, sincere individuals like Bishop Usher, who every time God would say he begat someone, would go off on that rabbit chase and, and go down that wrong trail. And, and so Usher's calendar, which, uh, pretty much is, is the most widely accepted calendar in the corporate church. It's printed in some Bibles. It, uh, creation ministries make reference to it. Usher's calendar has a creation date of about 6,000 or so years ago. It, it has an Old Testament side of about 4,000 years and a New Testament side, well, it, it, it would be accurate there, at least from the cross to the present of about 2,000 years, 6,000 total years. So following God's sleight of hand, following God's intentional uh, misleading direction, uh, Canaan lived 70 years and begat Mahalaleel. Okay, now Mahalaleel is born. Following that idea, Usher managed to lose over 7,000 years. There were about 7,000 years of biblical history. And that's not a small thing. That's a loss of more history that has been found. They only would hold to an earth that's 6,000 years old. And they they just disappeared 7,000 years because God hid it from them. and. As a result, when one of these um, uh, individuals from a creation ministry, when they debate, when they discuss 
the young earth, and they're correct about that. But when they discuss a young earth with an atheist or an evolution uh, evolutionist, who, of course, they they're all wrong with their billions of years idea. But invariably, the young earth creationist gets in trouble because he only believes in in a very short 4,000 year or so Old Testament history. There's just flatly no time to work out the biblical history and also secular history when you take into account the flood and and the flood's destructive power of all the earth and 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 so forth and and uh, the recover from that and to build the egyptian dynasties to have time enough for ancient egyptian history to have worked out the way that archaeologists have discovered it worked out they they find the pyramids they find the datings in in the, the secular realm and and it points back to at least um, dates that go well beyond the permissible dates when uh, when you use Usher's calendar and you only have this 4,000-year period. And yet they insist, oh, no, oh, no. They think they're holding to the Bible, but they're not. They're holding on to a man-devised calendar. It, it, it has some things correct. It, it does recognize the creation. It recognizes a young earth. It recognizes there's a biblical calendar. All that is very good, but they've managed to lose about 7,000 years of history. And when we follow the actual methodology God has set forth, which is that it's end to end in most cases, there, there's exceptions. And when there's a, an exception, remember there'll be that clue phrase, Karashem, call his name, which will indicate an immediate father-son relationship. But otherwise, the word begat, it could be uh, a de- later descendant, uh, grandson, great-grandson. The Bible allows for that. And, and, and so when we, um, follow this, um, this key, this key, we end up with a perfect calendar of history from creation in 11,013 BC all the way down. And we, we come to, um, dates for the Exodus, dates for Solomon, dates for the foundation of the temple, dates for, uh, the, the correct beginning and ending reign for King Solomon that matches and agrees with secular archaeology and their dates. And the only way you can come down from 11,013 BC and, and it's, you're not jumping anywhere. You're following the biblical calendar reference patriarchs and the timelines. And if that was off by one individual, if we were incorrect, it would be off hundreds of years. And we would expect that when we get down to the dating for the Exodus, that we would be way off. And when we get to the point um, uh, of the laying of the foundation temple, we would be way off. If we're incorrect at this beginning stage concerning the the end-to-end 
um, understanding of things, in, in deciphering the the way God has sealed this up and hidden it, then uh, again, uh, Usher lost seven thousand years. We're adding through the correct methodology seven thousand years. So we should not be off just hundreds of years. We should be off thousands of years, and yet. You do not see that. You see uh, key dates uh, in sync, matching up, aligning perfectly with dates that secular archaeologists who um, who would date Solomon's reign, they might um, um, there might be a difference of a year or so from nine thirty or nine thirty one that that he ceased to reign. But again, we fall right on the nose, right on the money. How could that be? How could it be? And, of course, the answer is that this understanding is correct. This is how God has hit it. Now, we see some differences in in the genealogy God gives in chapter 5 with what we're reading in chapter 11. For instance, in chapter 5, the Lord helps us with a uh, a summation after telling us Canaan lived 70 years and begat Mahalaleel in verse 12, and Canaan lived after he begat Mahalaleel 840 years and begat sons and daughters. Then we are given an additional verse, and God adds it up for us. And all the days of Canaan were 910 years, and he died. So you add that first reference of 70 years with the second reference of 840 and the total was 910, and obviously he he died at that point. Well, Genesis 11 uh, does not give us that summing up verse. And and uh, why not? Well, uh, the Lord is just changing things. He's not changing anything, really. It, it's, it's just that he showed us how to do it, how to add up the two dates, and to also understand that at, at uh, the completion of those two dates, the individual died. And that's what we have here in Genesis 11, verse 10. These are the generations of Shem. Shem was a 100 years old and begat Arphaxed two years after the flood. And Shem lived after he begat Arphaxed 500 years and begat sons and daughters. So, Shem was a hundred, he begat Arphaxed. And, following the same formula we saw in Genesis 5, it does not mean Arphaxed was born when Shem was a hundred, but a progenitor, someone who uh, will be in the line of Arphaxed, Arphaxed will come through that individual, was born, or be, he was born two years uh, after the flood, and then Shem lived after he begat Arphaxed 500 years. And at the end of that 500 years, we, we add the two different numbers together, 100 and 500, Shem died age 600. And our only question here in verse 10, and it's an important question, because... It's telling us the calendar date when Shem's a hundred years old. 
and it tells us that he begat Arphaxad two years after the flood. The question is, is that two years from the start of the flood in 4990 BC, or is it two years from the point of when the flood ended? Because remember, there was a, a full year's voyage, 370 days. So they came out of the ark in 4989 BC. And so at which point does God consider to be after the flood? Is it from the beginning, 4990, or it, does he mean once the flood event, the, the entire thing concluded? Is it two years from 4990, which would make it 4988? Or is it two years from 4989, which would make it 4987 B.C.? Uh, so uh, this is an important question. As far as our calendar is concerned, uh, if we don't answer it accurately, we could be one year off course. Well, see, the Lord graciously helps us with the answer to this when we go back to Genesis chapter 9, Genesis 9, and we'll read the last two verses, verses 28 and 29. And Noah lived after the flood, see that phrase, after the flood? Same words as Genesis eleven ten. Shem was a hundred years old and begat Arphaxad two years after the flood. So here we find God using the same language, Noah lived after the flood. So this is going to help us in defining uh, that phrase, after the flood. Noah lived after the flood 350 years, and all the days of Noah were 950 years, and he died. And now we can know what God means when he says after the flood. Because Noah was 600 years old, we're told, in Genesis 7, when the flood waters came upon the earth. And now it says in verse 28, he lived after the flood 350 years. So if he was 600 when it started, that's letting us know that God is defining after the flood from the point of its beginning, from the 17th day of the second month, when the rain started to fall, that's the flood. And time that uh, expires or time that comes after that beginning point in the year 4990 is all time that's after the flood. All Noah's entire 350 years is after the flood. And then he died at the age of 950. In other words, if God were saying that the year spent on the ark was part of the flood, and, and when he says after the flood, you, you have to take that year into consideration, then it would say Noah lived after the flood 349 years because he would have been 601 after that full year inside the ark. And then coming out of the ark, he lived 349 years. 
and his total lifespan is 950. But God did not say that. He very carefully said Noah lived after the flood 350. Therefore, the entire year of the flood itself, until they came out, was counted as being part of after the flood. And and therefore, in Genesis 11, verse 10, Shem was a 100 years old and begat Arphaxad two years after the flood. Therefore, in the year 4988, Shem was 100, and that was uh, the point of two years after the flood. He then lived for 500 more years, and he died in the year 4488. Now, God, again, uh, is not assisting us by adding up the two numbers, 100 and 500, and he's not assisting us by telling us that he died. He he now expects us to have picked that up from Genesis 5 and to factor that in as we we go through the rest of this genealogy. And and so Shem is the new uh, biblical calendar reference patriarch from the point of Two years after, well, um, yeah, we'll, we'll say at that point in 4988, all the way down to 4488 BC, and then he died. And in the year 4488 BC, our Faxad is born. And, and so it is following the same methodology that we saw in Genesis chapter five. Now, I'd just like to point out, one thing about the year 4988 BC that is interesting, when you add 4988 plus 2033, because that's the date that we're finding uh, increasing evidence for as a possible conclusion to Judgment Day and the end of the world, when you add 4988 to 2033, it's 7,021 years. If you minus one, due to the fact there's no year zero, it's 7,020 years. 7,020 breaks down to 10 times 2 times 3 times 3 times 3 times 13. So we can see the purpose of God tripled to uh, place even greater emphasis upon it. The purpose of God and, and numbers of 10 of completeness, 13, which is a number identifies with the end of the world, and two, the caretakers of the gospel. So uh, it's an interesting number to find at this point after the flood. That This is the date that would identify with after the flood. And, of course, spiritually, the flood date ties into May 21, 2011, and 2033 would be a date after the judgment that began on that date that identified with the flood. All right. Well, we're, we're going to Lord willing in our next study, go through the genealogy that is found here in Genesis chapter 11. We'll see God's precision as he gives us these dates. And again, maybe no one individual date is all that important, 
But all of them combined, all of them come together to form this wonderful, glorious, and perfectly accurate biblical calendar of history that the Lord has used to instruct his people at the time of the end to let us know, uh, first of all, that we're at the time of the end. And it really has been a tremendous help to the people of God to show us where we are in time. And we're very close that we're on the edge of the end of the world. Thanks for joining us for eBible Fellowship's Evening Bible Studies. You can hear these studies Monday through Friday over PalTalk, Skype, eBible Fellowship's webcast audio, or over your phone. For more information or to hear other studies, visit www.ebiblefellowship.com. Until our next study, may the Lord's perfect will be done.